Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. You're worthy, God. Praise the name of the Lord. I love this. I love, I love Sundays, but I really do like Wednesdays. I really do. I love Wednesdays because even though I know you're all busy and you got all that stuff going on through the week, it's, it just feels like a, a breath of fresh air to gather together in the middle of the week. And it's good for us to be here. I'm like Peter up on that mountain. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Amen. All right. Well, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I just noticed that my iPad is down to 37%. Oh, it's going to be a short one tonight. Amen. Who in the world? I just heard a loud amen that I, it's so strange. I've never heard that one before. Never heard that voice shout that loud before. Who was that? Blank. <laughs> so, those of you that were in the uh, all church meeting a few weeks ago, and I know some of you had to miss that, but we rolled out a new church app called Church Center. Um, Sister Barrow will be in the foyer tonight after service with her whatever she has, MacBook. And she will be helping anybody who has questions. If you've had trouble getting on the app, she'll help you with that. But also, we would like you to uh, remember that you have to be invited to be part of the directory. In other words, she has to send you an, this is the way it's wired. So she has to send you an email. You have to respond to that email though. So you might have saw it and thought it was uh, junk or spam or whatever. Um, so take a look. If you go back in your emails a few weeks ago, you might be able to find it, but I think she was going to try to resend that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you're going to try to resend that. So we want everybody to respond to the directory. Remember you have full control over how much information you would share in that. But I, I, as your pastor, would really encourage you to be part of the directory in that app. So again, if you have questions about it or you haven't been able to get on or maybe you weren't here, stop and see her. She can walk you through it very, very quickly. Then also we talked about um, our, our restart of prayer services, and we will be doing that um, Right now, we're going to start doing prayer services on the second and fourth Tuesdays of each month. So it will not be every week right now, but we will do the second and fourth Tuesdays of each month. We'll start that on the second Tuesday of June. I strongly, strongly encourage everybody to do your best. These are going to be some good services, and uh, we're going to do some just some different things, and uh, uh, you're going to enjoy getting together. We, it's important for us to gather together and pray together in corporate prayer over needs and pray in the building and pray as a church. And so put that in your calendar. Second and fourth Tuesdays of uh, each month will start the second Tuesday of June. Turn with me if you would. You do not need to stand, but go with me to Joshua 24. Just be ready there, Joshua 24. I'm going to open by showing you a couple of pictures here. And this first picture is uh, my predecessor and his wife, also known as my 
grandfather-in-law and grandmother-in-law. My wife's, my wife's grandma and grandpa, brother and sister Axum. And if, you, if you're real spiritual, you'll see me in there too. I couldn't get it without a reflection. I, I tried all these different angles. I'm not a professional. But uh, that just shows you that I love them so much. But anyway, Brother and Sister Axum pastored here uh, for 34 years. And uh, this, pa- this picture is in 1972. It was the eighth year of their pastorate. And I show you that picture because it ties in a little bit with what I want to talk to you about tonight. Um, Brother Axum's mantra, and we all know it well, I still carry the banner of family revival. Family revival. I remember when the Lord laid that on his heart, family revival. Uh, I was a a, a very young man. It was many years ago. (laughs) That doesn't sound good, does it? I was a young man many, many years ago. Uh, and he, he brought, anything Brother Axum did, he did big. It was just big. It was all just flashy. And uh, I remember, you know, the Lord laid that on his heart. Welcome to our guest tonight, by the way. We're glad you're with us, brother. God bless you. Good to have you, both of you here tonight. He brought it to the church and said, the Lord's laid on my heart family revival. And he had some, and I don't know if we still have them around here or not, but he had made up a document. It was like a legal document, family revival. You know, whereas the Lord hath laid it on the heart of the pastor to, and he he passed this document. He wanted everybody to commit to family revival, to sign on. And everybody was asked to sign this paper about family revival. And um, he made a really big deal out of it. And, 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 but I don't know whatever happened to those papers. Uh, but I, the, the, the vision of family revival was cast and it was caught by our church. And um, when Brother Axum, uh, what's it been now? How long has Brother Axum been gone, Cindy? Eight, nine years uh, she's busy with grandkids right now. How long has he been gone, Hank? It was the, I, I remember it, nine years. It was the night that uh, President Obama was reelected. I always remember it that way, that he, he went to bed not knowing uh, if, if, if President Obama was reelected. And so he never did find out. So it was how long ago? 2012. Um, he was... Uh, he was, uh, he, he got a brain tumor, and uh, Brother Axum, those of you that didn't know Brother Axum, he was uh, a very active man all the way up. He was 93 when he passed, and uh, he just never slowed down. And so he got the brain tumor, and it took him within a few months. I know it was just a matter of months. But one of the things that the brain tumor did was it affected his speech, First it became slurred, and then eventually it was gone. And he was no longer able to communicate. And I remember one of the last things that he was able to articulate and get me to finally understand, and it took him several tries. I was at, he stayed, he, fit, he lived out his last days at Steve's house, his son, uh, Steve's house. And uh, there at his bedside, he finally got me to understand Brother Hawkins Pray for my family. Pray for my family. He was always about his family being saved, his family being saved. And I, as I said, it took him several uh, attempts and me to really key in on what he was saying. I finally said, Brother Axum, are you saying you want me to, you want me to pray for your family? 
and uh, as his pastor and his grandson-in-law, I thought, wow, what a thing um, to, to be asked by my pastor to take up the banner of praying for his family. Every night when I pray, my prayer time um, is, I, I do pray in the morning. I do think you should pray in the morning. I think, I think the first thing you should do in the morning is talk to Jesus. But that's not my main prayer time. My main prayer time, I'm, I'm a night owl. I come alive at night when all of you are ready to me to close and get done. That's when I'm, 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 I'm at my best energy. When you're ready to go home, go to bed, I'd like to preach another two hours, see. So I'm a night owl. My wife is not. She goes to bed early. Nine o'clock's usually, no? Okay. Nine, I've, I wasn't finished. Nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, but for me, that's fairly early. Um, but she usually goes to bed early and gets up a little earlier than I do. But so the nighttime is my prayer time. And since my, we've become empty nesters over the last couple of years, I've got the whole downstairs to myself after about 10 o'clock. I mean, I just go crazy down there. And so nobody knows, you know, nobody's there. So I kind of got the whole, I just turned the living room into my prayer room. And uh, that's where I pray at night. After she turns in, I um, go to the Lord and talk to the Lord. And it's really worked out pretty neat. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the living room is my prayer room. And in the corner of our, my living room, if you show that next picture, is uh, my wife didn't even know I was taking pictures tonight before I left but that's a corner in our living room and this is uh, I just call it our family shelf and so if you think we have more pictures of some of our family than others it's only because they give us more pictures not because we like anybody better uh, I think Tyler and Angel got a picture taken when they got married and never gave us another picture ever again that's them right there that's them and nothing else so I pray every night, I pray for this angel. No, I don't really. <laughs> but I do pray for the world. <laughs> and I go, this is my prayer uh, corner when I'm praying for my family. I, just, I, like to, I like to look at them and I pray over and I'm praying for God's hedge around them and protect them and for, uh, their, for every one of them to be saved. And I pray hard for none of my kids to ever go to hell. I pray for all of my kids to go to heaven. Them, their wives, and their children. So my prayer sounds something like, God, I'm praying over my family tonight. God, I want them to go to heaven. Whatever it takes, don't let my babies be lost. And I pray, God, you keep Tyler and Angel. And Lord, let them be saved above everything. And God, you keep Jordan and Emily. And God, keep their ministry and anoint them and keep them. And God, there's a picture of all of us. I pray for my sweet wife, and I thank God for her every night for what a wonderful wife I, I have. And I ask the Lord to bless her in whatever things she might be dealing with at the time. I call that out to the Lord, and then I go down here <laughs> to Abigail and Alex. Do not tell them that's where they are, but <laughs> the, size, the, the size of the picture, I don't know. My wife put them down there for some reason. And I go down, and I drop down there and get on my knees and pray for my daughter and my son-in-law. That they'll be saved and God will use them. And then I come up and I call all of my grandbabies' names out. And I'm praying, God, let them all live for you all the days of their life. Let them serve you all. all that, Lord, don't ever let them get hooked on this. And don't ever, don't ever let them go out into the world. And I just soon all of my kids. You say, well, that, that's, that's awful sheltered. 
good. I, don't, I want them to live sheltered. I, I don't want them to be exposed to all the junk, all the stuff that's in the world. I just, I'm, all, I'm fine if they live to be 100 years old and never taste alcohol. I'm fine with that. If they, if they never know what pot feels like or drugs feel like or, or, or their wife or their husband leaving, or I, I'm fine with that. I'm just, I'm okay with that. I prefer that. I pray for that over my grandbabies. And I, 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 it's not often that families have a shot at saying those things. Lord, let them never leave the church. But thank God if your kids are being raised in the church, thank God for that. That's a blessing. And I just pray, God, you keep them, in the, keep them in the church. Don't ever let them leave. So I call them out. I call them Mason. I pray over Mason, whatever he might be dealing with at the time in Callahan. If he's sick, I'm praying over him. And God, you help Wrigley. She's, my, she's, she's the little girl in the middle of the boys. And I pray over her life because our young ladies have their own unique issues they have to deal with today. And especially if they're living for God in the church. And then I pray over Lennox and I pray over Lyndon. And uh, then down here is my... Anybody recognize who that is down here? Not from there. Somebody should recognize it. Is she here? Is your mom in here? Oh, yeah. Do you recognize that picture, Claire May? Well, well, just so you know, that's you and your husband's wedding picture. My wife decorated that shelf. My mom and dad are nowhere on there. <laughs> I've brought, I've brought so many pictures in of my mom and dad, and I don't, I, I don't even know where they are. I, I'm kidding. Y'all pray for me tonight. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. We need to get a I don't know. We're, we just don't have many pictures of them, I guess. But anyway, so I pray for my mother-in-law every night. I pray God would keep her. And, I, and while I'm at it, I pray for my mom and dad. And then I pray for my grandma, Thelma, who's 93. Three, 94 years old and I pray I just pray for my family and if you're not if you don't pray for your family every day I encourage you to make that part of your that should be a big part of your prayer time because I'm telling you nobody will pray for your children and your grandchildren like you will I, I pray for them but I promise I don't pray for them sister sister uh, Roberts I don't pray for Eric like you do I guarantee you I don't I pray for him but I don't say the same words and I don't know all the issues and, but you do. So you pray for your kids. And when you start having grandbabies and you start praying for your grandbabies and, and part of your prayer is God, keep them in the church, keep them in the church, keep them in the church. Amen. Joshua 24, 15, in his famous call to decision for God's people to choose. That's the key word in that verse, choose. He said, uh, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then he says, choose. Everybody say, choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose. He says in that farewell, or or that, that call to decision for God's people, he says, choose he says and and he says um basically he's asking the the question will you be persuaded will you be persuaded by one the erroneous uh, ancestral influences of your fathers who were on the other side of the flood and they served their gods are you going to be influenced by that ancestral 
uh, influence that flows down through generations? Is that what you're going to be influenced by? Or maybe you're going to be influenced by the current idolatrous environment in which you now dwell. Will you let those things influence the way you worship? And he just puts it out there. You've got a, you've got a few choices here. You can go back in time and you can, you can be influenced by your fathers or you can just live in where you are right now and you can be conformed to the world and you can, you can just serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you, you now dwell. But he said, just before you answer, let me just tell you, you're, as your leader, this is good. He says, as your leader, let me make a statement before you answer. And I believe it was a rhetorical question, but it, it required an answer on their part. He said, just so you know, as for me, and he's speaking as a leader. It's an autocratic statement, but it's a good statement. When he says, as for me, and he doesn't stop there. He could have. He could have just said, as for me, let me tell you what I'm going to do. As for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He says, just so you know, as for me. And he brings his household into the conversation. It's not just me. And it's, and it's not just me and my wife. But he says, as for me and my household. And so Joshua made a declaration about his household, his, his, his family, his, his, his children, his wife. Those whom God had given him to care for. He made a declarative statement about who they would serve. Amen. He said, uh, we, everybody say we. I like that word, we, we. If, I, if I'm standing up here tonight and talking and I start saying I a lot, I, 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 my, 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 me, 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 you think I'm leaving you out, but when I say, you know what we are going to do tonight, that makes you feel included. We, because I'm talking about everybody in the room, and he says, we, we, us, in other words, together, family. I want you to know what my family and I are going to do. We, he says, we will. <laughs> we will, we will. He, he's, he says, I'm determined that no matter what you do and no matter what the Amorites in whose uh, land we dwell do and no matter what our fathers did, no matter it doesn't matter what everybody else does or what anybody else is doing just so you know we will we are determined if we've ever needed to have our minds made up as to who we are going to worship, who we are going to serve. He's really saying, I'm telling you who I'm going to put first in my life. He says, we will, we are determined to serve. Everybody say, serve. Here he's talking about worship. Let me tell you who we will worship, who we will serve, who we will live for, who our, our lives are going to be centered around is not the gods of our fathers and not the gods of the Amorite, not influenced by our environment or our ancestors, but we will worship, we will serve, we will live for, we will center our lives around the Lord. I know, I know this sounds like a simplistic uh, message tonight, but I'm going to tell you some of the most necessary messages that we need right now are the simplest. It's basics, folks. This is what we're being drawn away from in these days of, 
of wisdom abounding and technology just blowing us away and everybody wanting knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. And I think the Bible says, with all of that, you need to also get understanding. You can be the most knowledgeable man in the world, the most and the smartest woman in the world, and leave common sense out of the conversation altogether, and also leave your spiritual uh, destiny out of the conversation altogether. So the writer says, with all of your learning, you better get some understanding to go along with it. We can go into deep things, and we should sometimes, and we need to delve into Hebrew and Greek and all that. That's all right sometimes, but sometimes we just be, we need somebody to stand up here and remind us that, hey, we live in a world right now that is under satanic attack when it comes to family revival. Moms and dads, when you, you, you uh, Brother Axum told me one time years ago, he said, Brother Hawkins, when he it became apparent that I was going to be the next pastor, he said, you are going to pastor in a day and face issues that I and my generation never even thought would exist. He got a little glimpse of it, but he never had any idea what we would be facing today. If you were to resurrect some of our grandparents and bring them into this world and they, would, they, and they were to read the headlines and, of, of things, the, the debates we're having, the, the, the conversations we are having, not just over things like abortion, but over things like, is it a he or a she, or what do you want to be? We've got, I, folks, we, you may not know this. If you're removed, some of you are insulated from these kind of things, but, but we have kids in middle school deciding on a day-to-day basis what gender they want to identify as. And, and along with that, they can change their name. Their, their name is, is Patricia today, and it's Pat tomorrow, and it's something else the next day. And this, these are the issues. That, these are, so we better understand that some of these simple conversations that we've drifted away from, we better get back to. And us as <clears throat> dads and moms and leaders and pastors, we better stand up in a day, by the way, where even churches, other denominations are splitting, literally, not the, I wish I could say down the middle, but about 85 to 15 over the issue of whether or not to marry same genders in their sanctuaries and have their ministers performing those marriages. And I wish I could tell you the 85% was the ones who were against it, but it's not that way. These are the times in which we are living. These are the days you are raising kids in these days. I came, I really, I planned on coming tonight to talk about marriage. I felt like the Lord had laid marriage on my heart and it quickly, he shifted me away from just marriage to talking about families. And, and I want to, this conversation, I don't want you to think that I'm talking to couples tonight because I'm really not just talking to couples when you, when you talk, when a minister gets up and says, I'm going to teach on marriage, sometimes you can see all the widows and the widowers, their eyes glaze over. It's like, I know all that. I've been through all that. And I get that. I understand. And, and maybe people that are divorced who think they're never going to get married again. And I understand all that too. But, but I want to remind you that we are a body of believers we are all fitly joined together. We are connected. And you, you may be a widow or a widower, but, and you may never get married again. But you are in. Sister Linda, you're going to throw me off. <laughs> She's back here going, praise God, that's right. I don't know, I feel a word coming right now. I, I see a man. No, I'm kidding. 
I see Sister Linda running from that man. <laughs> All right, that's good stuff. We need to, we need to laugh sometimes. But here's the thing. You, you Sister, so Sister Selvia, yeah, you, you don't plan to ever get married again. But here you are, you're connected to a body of people, a body of believers who some of them are married. And you've got wisdom, and you've got, you've got, and you pray. And so we come together, and whether or not you really understand it, we influence one another a great deal more than we realize that we do. And so if, if I teach on marriage, and you're not married, but you're still going to absorb that, and you're going to take that with you, and there are people whose lives you might speak into. You might say, you know, I heard pastor was teaching about this the other day. And, or it just helps us understand how to have conversations with people. So I'm not going to talk too much about marriage, just a little bit. But I, I, I really want us to have this conversation about family, family revival. Family revival, really, when we say that, what we mean is we want two things. We want a revival of family values, what a family looks like. And today, I mean, we've got to go back to the Bible for that pattern because we don't find it anywhere, hardly anywhere else today. So if we go back to the Bible, the Bible, go all the way back to the book of Genesis where marriage was instituted by God. And he said, for this cause shall a man leave his mother and his father and be joined to his wife. And God made a man and a woman, and they were to be married. Don't make me nervous up in here now. Get quiet on me on these things. <clears throat> and they were to be joined together. And they, God made it such a way. doesn't matter what you identify as. You, you got you got chromosomes, and you got their genes, and there's science. Uh, isn't it amazing? All, this, all the world wants to have scientific conversations until it comes to stuff like this. <clears throat> so scientifically, you're a man. Scientifically, you are a woman. You're a man. You're a man. So that's just, that's just science. That's just the way God made us, and God made it to where a man and a woman could be married, and if they're healthy and everything's working properly, they can produce children and they can become a family and then we start looking so we follow the biblical example of first of all marriage secondly uh, families <clears throat> and what the family is uh, in the Bible is a husband and a wife and they have children and they and they raise those children and they teach those children are you with me so far Amen. simple but we need to hear these things so he says, look, as for me and my family, my wife, my children, we will serve the Lord. And so here we are in this day where Satan is, is attacking our family. So we're saying family revival is, we want a, we want a revival of what the, just the family unit. Moms and dads, a healthy marriage, healthy children, raising their children in the church. But also we mean this, we want our families to come back to the Lord or to come to the Lord. So our, we're praying for our families who are lost. We're praying for our, our children who are lost, our parents, our, our husbands, our wives. Some of you come to church without your spouses and you've been praying for years. And when we say family revival, what I mean by that, when I call your names out every night in prayer, I'm, I see your wife with you. I see your husband sitting there beside you. I prophesy that over you in the name of Jesus. I prophesy that over you every night when I pray. I'm praying. I see it is happening. <clears throat> so... I want my family to go to heaven and you want your family to go to heaven. And I really do believe that what we need is a renewal of commitment to two things especially. One is to marriage. We need a renewal of commitment to marriage. 
And so, real quickly, and I, I, I don't want to drag this conversation, conversation out too long, but Ephesians 5, 22. And I think that Ephesians 5, 22 through 29 is probably one of the best scriptures. If we're just going to, if we're just going to pick a, a verse, or not a verse, but if we're going to pick a passage out of the Bible that could talk to us in the most concise way about marriage, I think Ephesians 5.22 does that. Now, there's a lot of other scriptures that deal with a lot of things. When I'm dealing with people in pre-marriage counseling, we try to hit all those scriptures and we talk about the permanence of marriage. Uh, you don't leave, you don't divorce, saving for the cause of fornication that Jesus said. We go in, we even talk about, you know, Paul talks about if your husband or your spouse dies, that you're free to... Married. A lot of people don't, they wonder about these things, but we're not going into that tonight. But, but Paul uses, really, he's using this as an analogy as the relationship with the Lord and his church. But he gives us great, great, kind of peripherally, he gives us a great lesson on what marriage is. And here's where, he, here it starts here. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Let's just read through. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. So let me stop there and hit on this. Um, husbands, if your wife's out right now, you might want to go relieve them and tell them to get in here because I'm getting ready to help you here. <laughs> this is the biblical pattern for families. This is not a conservative versus liberal. This is Bible. It's simply Bible. And it says that in a husband and a wife relationship, the wife should submit. Now, that, what that means is it doesn't mean you, you bow down to every whim and wish and desire and thought that your husband has. It means that you look to your husband for leadership. You pray for him to be the leader. You cannot have two heads. Two heads is a freak of nature, right? So you can't have a marriage and both be the head. So God designed it for the man to be the head of the wife, or we could say when you have children, of the family. Doesn't mean, well, we'll talk about what it doesn't mean in a minute. What it does mean is that you have, um, as a wife, you have a biblical directive to look to your husband for leadership, for guidance, and uh, to follow that leadership and that guidance. Now, does that fly in the face of today's teaching? For many, many years it has. And uh, if I were to get up, can you imagine somebody getting up in a university and talking about this scripture? You wouldn't make it to your car. You wouldn't get thrown out. You just, you'd just disappear. Because what happened is the politicians and all of that got a hold of this scripture and twisted it and tried to make it look like it's saying something that it's not and, and women have rights and of course you do that's not what the scripture say scripture's not saying that women are subhuman or beneath it doesn't mean that less than doesn't mean that at all uh if you want to go all the way back to genesis adam wasn't doing very well that's why god made woman he said uh, it's not good for the good he's not doing very good and then he made eve Help meet. That means to help bring to completion. So we're really complete together. Right, right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All right. So, 
But he says, in the family unit, you know, uh, this is the way I see a family. My wife and I, we've raised three kids, and, and uh, now we get to, now we're, uh, get to hold our grandbabies on our knee and give them, give them back, go home. But we've raised three kids, and we've had to make a lot of decisions. When you're raising a family, you make a lot of decisions. And it, our policy's always been we talk it over, we pray together, we talk it over, we pray together. But at the end of the day, she's, she says, what do you think? It has to, somebody has to make the final decision. Amen. Now, there's been times where I would defer and say, well, you know what? On this one, you've got more information. You, you, you've got some intuition on, in this that I don't have. And I'll say, you know what? Tell me what you're thinking. And, and so, but it is a very much, we walk side by side. Now, she would never, ever let you call her a pastor. But I can tell you right now that I could not do what I do if I did not have that woman by my side. Not behind me, not beneath me, but by my side. She doesn't like the limelight. She doesn't like the spotlight. But I tell you right now that she prays and she's by my side and she helps me make decisions. And that's part. But at the end of the day, she's looking to me to, okay, we got to make a decision here. Amen. So that's what that means. It's not, I'm, now, we can abuse that. Men do sometimes abuse that and they take that script and that's the only they don't want to go any farther than that because i'm telling you we're going to go on here in a minute and it gets tough but we want to grab that out of context and say well the bible says you better submit to me the bible says a whole lot more than that you got to live your life in such a way that your wife can't afford to submit to your leadership because if you're dragging her to hell and your kids to hell she has a biblical mandate to ignore that leadership amen Seek first the kingdom of God. So there's other scriptures. Not just, that's not the only scripture in the Bible, men. You know? yeah. And it doesn't give us a right to be a king or a dictator. or We're not the boss. We're, just, we're the head of the family. We're the spiritual head of the family. So live your life in such a way that you can be looked at seriously as a spiritual leader. Don't tell your wife, this is what we're doing, and, and, and she never see you pray. I don't care what you think we should do. Have you talked to the, have you talked to the real head before you told me what to do? So you've got to be prayerful. You take this serious. You don't get to just say, you submit. You submit, you submit. No, you go pray. Get a word from God. Amen. Get in the word. Go to church. Amen. Be somebody that they can afford to follow. Right. Amen. Amen. So there it is. I mean, you know. There it is. It's, it's wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, to your own husbands. And, husband, you know, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So we're really, um, now, we, now he starts pivoting into this next conversation. Go ahead. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so uh, also uh, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. So here we go, verse 25. You ready for this one? Husbands, l- love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The reason I, I can look to the Lord for headship, I know he loves me. I know he has my best interest at heart. I know he loves me with agape love. Self-sacrificial love. Amen. He's not going to take me in the wrong direction. He's not going to abuse me. I can submit to, the, my, to my Lord and be safe. So he says to you husbands, now I just laid a lot on your wives here. 
Now, that's back in Paul's day, but I'll tell you, if he could fast forward to 1970, 1980, he'd know, I'm laying a lot on your wives here, you know. So I'm using the word submit. And so you better know what this means. You better, you better know that they can't submit to you if you don't love them the way Christ loves the church. So you, you've got, I'm talking about getting back to family revival here. Fam, revival in marriages. So husbands, you've got to love your wives even also as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I better be willing to make sacrifices for my wife, put her interests first, protect her, provide for her, take care of her, love her above myself. And he goes on, he says that, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing uh, of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Now I've told men before when they say I don't like I don't like my wife I don't like the what kind of wife she is. I well let's go back. What are you doing to be able to present a wife to yourself? I mean if you invest in your wife most of the time, if you invest in your wife the way Christ invests in the church, that he might get a good bride, right? Mm -hmm. right, right. So our wives need to feel loved. Our, our wives need to feel loved. And, and wives, your husband needs to feel respected. That's really what these scriptures boil down to. Love and respect. A wife who's not, um, who's not just sinfully minded or just, you know, evil or wicked, whatever. Just a wife who, who's trying to do her best. If she feels loved, you, you don't have to be perfect, husband. You don't have to be a perfect husband. You don't, have to look, you don't have to be a superman. You don't have to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's really, that's, I got to get a new. I got to get, he's what, is he 95 now? <laughs> I still wouldn't mind look like Arnold Schwarzenegger even at 95. You don't have to look like that. Um, you don't have to be flawless. But if she knows at the end of the day that she's loved, Wives, I see a breakdown in this a lot, especially nowadays in a day where the uh, sitcoms and the movies take jabs at men all the time. They make them out to be blustering fools and idiots and, you know, and, 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 and all the family shows, the husband's just some blithering nut job and the wife's the smart one and calling all the shots. And, and so in this day, wives of disrespect towards anybody in authority, your husband needs to feel respected. And this is what Paul is telling us, love and respect. There's a really good book, the last name of the author is Eckridge, and I cannot remember his first name, it's not important. Two books he wrote. One is Cracking the Communication Code. The other is Love and Respect. And he wrote, I think, I think Love and Respect was first. And he describes this scripture. He says it boils down to husbands have an innate need to feel respected. Wives have an innate need to feel loved. When that's happening, everything goes well. You can cover a lot of problems and you can fix a lot of problems. You can have a lot of hard-to-have conversations as long as she knows she's loved and he knows he's respected. All the problems. And you're going to have problems. And you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have issues. But as long as he's respected and she's loved, you'll figure out a way to work it out. Now, what he describes in that book, and I think love and respect, <clears throat> he describes what he calls the crazy cycle. 
In the crazy cycle, he simply draws, and I don't have, a, I don't have it uh, there. You can actually, you could Google it and look it up, the crazy cycle uh, by Eckrich, and you'll see, the, you'll see the little depiction, very simple. He just draws a little circle, and he's got arrows going around clockwise, and on the arrows it says, when she feels, actually, let's start, when she doesn't feel loved, she's not apt to respond with respect. When he doesn't feel respected, he's not apt to respond with love. There's the crazy cycle. She doesn't feel love, so she doesn't feel like showing respect. He doesn't feel respected, so why bother showing her love? Now, throw all of life's issues, your kids going to school and needing, and the job situations, and you've got to get to church on Wednesday night, and you're always running late. Throw all those issues in the middle of the crazy cycle, and everything feels like a huge, huge deal. Everything's worth having a fight over, and everything's worth getting a divorce over, and everything's worth calling you a name over. And so we just continue. So he doesn't feel respected, so he doesn't show love. She doesn't feel love, he doesn't show respect, and it just goes on and on and on and on until they show up in the pastor's office and I get pulled into their crazy cycle. <laughs> Here's what he says. Look at that scripture again. It does not say, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands if you feel loved. And husbands, it doesn't say, love your wives if you feel respected. There's no, quali there's no qualifiers. There's no prerequisites. So he makes this argument, and I've seen it to be true. That if one of, just one of, one of you will go ahead and do what the Bible says to do. Now he's not making, the wife might say, he's not showing me love. I do not feel loved, but God, you said in your word. So I'm going to, I'm going to go against all of my feelings and all of my, all of these emotions. And I am going to show that man respect because he's my husband and your word says to and what he says, all that, all, one of you doing that. The, wife, the husband might say, okay, she's not making me feel loved, but I'm going, I'm sorry, she's not making me feel respected, but I'm going to show her love anyhow. And it takes the energy out of that cycle. It takes that because when she feels loved, she's more apt to show you respect. And when he feels respected, he's more apt to show you love. Now, I, I, I've taught on marriage and I've taught pre-marriage counseling for many, many years. And I took weeks and weeks and weeks to go through all the communication and compromise and, 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 and backgrounds and, and your family history. And I still do that to some degree. But man, I tell you what, we can just bring it all right down to this conversation right here. If your wife does not feel loved, you're going to be back in my office in a few months. And if that man does not feel respected by you, and I mean you respect him around your girlfriend's wives, you, show, you respect him around your mama. Yeah. Right, right, You respect him at church. Yes. You don't take pot shots at him. He's not the butt of your jokes. He's not the, you're, you don't roast him at lunch. When all those other wives are sitting there talking about, no, how good, no, our husband's no good, and he's lazy, and he don't, you don't do that. You know, you're, no, you're, you're in the word. So the word says you show your husband respect. And when you're with him, you show, that's my man. That's right. That's, that's my man. And you show him respect. And you watch it change. Now, this is the truth. A lot of, a lot of little girls don't grow up seeing this. They're not taught it. They're not, it's not exampled before them. And a lot of little boys don't grow up seeing it either. They don't see, they don't see their, their dad showing that wife love, treating her like a queen that she should be treated like. And, and that man's not treated like the head of the house. And so they grow up confused. And we've got this warped sense of what marriage is. And that's why we still, even in the church, have over 50% divorce rate. Because we're not doing it the way God told us to do it. Amen. And we need a renewal of commitment to having good marriages. 
So get in Ephesians 5. Pray. I tell you, bring, bring your Bible into your prayer time. And if your marriage is struggling or you just feel like it could be better, bring Ephesians 5, 22 through 29. We didn't finish it all there. You can go home and read the rest. Bring that into your prayer time. Read, pray that. And don't pray, oh, you know, you wives, oh, God, let my husband. No, pray for yourself. God, help me to show my husband respect. You husbands, God, help me to show my wife love. I want to love her as you love the church. And when you start praying that, God will show you some things. That pride, that arrogance, that selfishness, you'll have to, you'll, you'll have to repent. Oh. <clears throat> I won't bring the young people in here and teach this to them if you don't get with me. Here. You start praying the word, you'll start doing some repenting. You'll start saying, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I, got, I need to do better at that right there. How are we doing? Almost done. Okay, so a renewal of commitment to marriage. Make Ephesians 5.22 through 29 your scripture for marriage. Just go there. Before you ever come to my office, you ought to have already read that, prayed that, looked at your crazy cycle. See if there's anything you need to do to take the energy out of that cycle. Don't come into my office tell me how crazy she is and how, how uncaring he is. You heard me teach. How are you doing it? No, get out. I know. I've never told anybody that, but come on. I've felt like it before. Have you, did you pray before you came to my office? No. Get out of here. Many years ago, I was, I was dealing with a couple, and they fought, they fought, they fought. They couldn't get along, couldn't get along. They just got to the point where I didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. Spent so much time with them in my office. I gave them all my best stuff, you know. Told them the books and talked about crazy cycle and all that stuff. Finally, the Lord, they were supposed to meet me here one night. And the Lord said, you need to pray over the spirits that are attacking their marriage. They both got spirits on them. <clears throat> so I, wasn't, I surprised them. I wasn't in my office when they got here. I was sitting, I was right up here waiting on them. I'd been in here praying already. And they came in and looking around the corner. I said, come on, come in. We're going to meet up here tonight. So I said, I said, here's what the Lord told me. We need to take authority. And then, man, it just, they just shut down. Because they didn't come to get victory. They came to fight. They wanted me. To, I was a referee. They were having a pretty good time. And I said, well, I think on this one you were wrong. Eh, maybe on that one you were. And they left. And they got a little more energy to come back in a couple of weeks and tell me, there's, I'm, I'm not your referee. I'm your pastor. Best thing I can do for you is pray over the spirits that are attacking your marriage. And then you go apply the word of God to your marriage. And you watch your marriage turn around. It'll turn around. God can save your marriage. All right. So. <clears throat> Last thing, and I'll only take a minute on this, but the last thing is, the second thing is that we need a renewal of commitment to, to just our family life. And mainly, this is in parenting. We've got away from this too, and that is training up our children in the way they should go. So here we go. Parents, you cannot relinquish that to the school system. I hope if we're seeing anything right now, we understand now, I, I tell you what we see going on right now. We see this trend. There are, uh, somebody told me uh, today, I just heard this through the grapevine, one of the teachers that taught my, uh, all three of my kids and one of my grandkids, she's retiring. She's not really old enough to retire. And so we, my wife is having a conversation with somebody else that works at the school system, and she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, we have, how many was it? 
19, 19, <laughs> I'm getting ready to enforce this scripture on my, my grandbabies right now. Spare the rods, boy. <laughs> so 19 teachers from Ellettsville that are retiring this year. And somebody said, they, they, they're getting, they want to get out of this public school system. Now, I know, I know we're live streaming, and I know that might seem a little political there, but this is where we are. When you've got teachers that say, these are teachers that have taught generations, right? And they're saying this. So I told my wife, this is the sad part about that. Yes, they're making a statement. They're going to go find another job somewhere that better suits their philosophies and their views, but it creates a vacuum. Who you think is going to take those spots? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So if you're, first of all, you need to have a serious thing, thought process and prayer about where you send your kids to school. I'm not promoting private or public. I'm simply saying you better know what they're learning. You better have a good idea. <clears throat> we turn our kids loose with these tablets and phones nowadays. You better know what they're looking at. Because there is garbage out there for them. And it's trying to get in their little eyeballs and their brains. So you need, training up a child, it means something different than it did when we were raising kids. It just does. The things you got to guard against and watch over. So never has it been so important to get them to the house of God. Thank God here we have great youth uh, pastors and youth team and a great children's pastor and children's ministry team. Thank We are so blessed here that these, uh, every one of these people that do these uh, ministries, to, that's exactly what it is to them. It's a ministry. It's not a job. It's not a position. They don't do it begrudgingly. They have a burden for your children and for your young people. Get them here and get them here every time the doors are open. And by the way, see these kids up here up, that are sitting up here so well behaved right now? They, <clears throat> I don't know if any of them can tell me what I'm teaching about right now. Because when I said marriage, they're like, yeah, right, you know. And I don't know if they know where I'm at or not. Doesn't matter. They're here, yeah. and they're hearing their pastor's voice. <clears throat> My mom and dad went to a family camp one year when I was probably about Wrigley's age. And, and all week long, they made me go to the day sessions with them and sit there and listen. I think it was Brother Tenney teach on marriage. I still remember some of that. Amen. So they may not be able to tell me on what points I made tonight, but they're here. So bring them. Yes, even on nights when they're not, they don't have something special going on. They're... They need to be in the sanctuary. They need to sit among you. They need to see how to eat from the big table. They need to know how to hear their pastor's voice. This is part of training them up. Train them up. This is where you want them to be when they're 15. Bring them when they're 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. By the way, while we're at it, you bend those little twigs the way you want them to go. The things you're putting on them today to wear... Now get up here. I want you to see what I'm doing. Those things, these dresses that look about as long as my jacket, you put them on them when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, and you hope they don't wear them when they're 15. Train them up the way that if you don't want them wearing it when they're 15, don't put it on them when they're nine and 10. Yeah. <clears throat>
We've got to train them up in the way they should go so when they are old, they will not depart from it. I'm not going to give you all the scriptures in there that talk about the rod and all that stuff. By the way, I understand that rod is talking about correction. It doesn't mean you take a physical rod and beat your kid to death. If you're going to claim that, you better go up a few verses where it tells you that if you're given to uh, excess food to put a knife to your throat, <laughs> you're not going to take that one literal, are you? Uh, so... I, I, I'm not, I do not believe the Bible is telling you to take and beat your kids so bad they got to go to the doctor. It is talking about a, a rod of correction. Your children must be corrected. Their hearts are just like your hearts. It will mislead them. Their thoughts go in the wrong way. There's a way that seems right, but it's not the way they should go. So who's in charge of, of, of correcting them? You, not me, not Brother Pace, not Jordan. We will stand right beside you. We will reinforce it. We will teach it. But when they go Monday morning and they want to do the wrong thing, you're the one that has to correct them. And there better be some correction. There better be something standing in the way of them going. What's the Bible say? There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There better be something trying to curtail their departure into that way of death. That's on you. You want to ground them, you want to time out them, you want to spank them, you want to, you know what? You better figure that out. You better pray over that. You be, but it better be something that sticks and gets their attention. And if they're acting this way today, there's a great book out by Lehman, Kevin Lehman. It's called Have a New Kid by Friday. It's, it's a pretty good book, actually. And it gives you some very practical, I know some of you are laughing like, yeah, right. He didn't say which Friday, I don't think, but... <clears throat> He gives you some real practical things, how to deal with kids and just, you know, this little boy, three, four years old, throwing a fit in the middle of the cereal aisle because he wants sugar puffs. And you said, no. Ah! And, he, and so he walking out with three boxes of sugar puffs. And you wonder why. Come on, let's stand. I could go all night on this stuff. Praise God. He gives you some good just things to do. You don't try to correct them in the middle of the cereal aisle. You walk away. They'll come. Now, I have had a few kids that wouldn't come, but you go back and kick a little bit, they'll come. I said a little bit. <clears throat> uh, and then later... When you get home, this, one, of the, one of the things that he ta taught that stick out to me, I was, I was like this. Because usually what happens is you, you melt down with them. I told you, not, if you don't stop, we'll never come. And you, say, and you say things like, we'll never come to the grocery store again. <laughs> Lie. <Yeah. laughs> I'll never bring you to McDonald's again. Lie. They know you're lying. It's an empty threat. Or you, one... To, and you don't even know how far you're going to count. <laughs> they'll, they'll have you counting to 5,253. 5, <laughs> Doesn't work. So you go home and later when little Johnny that threw a fit in the cereal aisle says, Oh, it's, my, it's this time usually when I get to play my video game or I get to watch such and such or I get to eat a cookie. You, then you get to teach Johnny about it. You remember a while ago... The way you behave, well, when your behavior is that way, your reward system is this way. And he starts connecting behavior to consequences. Very simple, but we don't do, we, we, we're too tired to do it. You parents are, are the most worn out parents that have ever lived. In a day where they told us the computers would make your life easy, you're as stressed as ever. 
You're raising kids in this. So you have, you have, to, you have to purposely say, I'm tired, I'm worn out, but I got to teach this child the way he should go. Man, this is good teaching here. Father, I pray over our families tonight. I pray for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas today. God, we need you. We need a re renewal of commitment in our marriages and a renewal of commitment in our raising our children. And God, I pray you'll help us to walk in the word. God, to walk in your light. And God, give us the strength that we need to, to do a good job in these areas that you've called us to, to be in. You've called us to raise these children in this day. You've brought us for such a time as this. So I'm praying for a fresh anointing upon your people. God, we're not going to stand by and watch our kids be lost. No, no, no. We're going to pray and we're going to be like Rizpah and we will just shoo away the birds and we'll shoo away the, the animals that are trying to devour our babies even if their situation seems dead. We're going to keep a watch over them until you bring them back. In the name of Jesus, I pray for your people and we give you the glory and the praise. Give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. 